Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. I, I think you should qualify that as a freshly, fully inoculated Kevin Sherrington. That's right. I've had all my shots, uh, David. Uh, yeah, so I feel like I, I, I shouldn't have any kind of problem with heartworm or anything. <laughs> anything like that. Luckily not. Forward. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, anyway. Uh, I think any any words that got to my heart would be sorely disappointed, uh, <laughs> I have to say. Um, so, anyway, we uh, we had a little Cowboys game on uh, Sunday in Philly. You were there Sunday night. Um, Cowboys fans, I'm sure, were disappointed by that. You know, they showed a lot of guts and heart and all that other good stuff coming back in the second half. Although I, 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 I contend also, should, should we really be patting people on the back because they don't quit? I mean, you know, I, I would think that when you only play 17 games uh, and you're considered a contender, we shouldn't be saying, wow, that was a, that was a, you showed a lot of fight there. Well, you, you ought to be showing a lot of fight. But anyway, um, that was probably um, Cooper Rush's last game as a starter. Well, you know, unless Dak gets hurt again, we expect uh, Dak Prescott to be back this week. Uh, we will, as we're taping this on Tuesday, uh, we we're not positive about that but we're pretty sure that that's what's going to be the case um so david let me let's go over a couple of things here in that eagles game um first of all uh the eagles are a good team i was i was withholding my uh, opinion about that as exactly how good they are i think they are a good team they've got you, they've you got, were withholding your opinion you were expressing doubts that they were a really good team no, well, I guess that was my opinion. Then. Well, I was just saying that I think they hadn't played any good defenses yet, and yeah. I'm not sure they, they've still played a good defense. I don't think the Cowboys played very well defensively in that game, and, and I think that Dan Quinn would probably say the same. I, I, I read uh, today that he said that they missed 10 tackles in that game, uh, which is not good. Uh, Most they, in this season, yeah. Yeah, they, they let A.J. Brown get uh, loose a couple of times. Of, of all people to get loose – you can't do that, and it kind of put uh, Micah Parsons in a bad position where he was having to make a read. Whether do I take the quarterback here? Or do I take AJ Brown, who's just running loose in front of me? What do I do? Uh, and they basically uh, set it up where Micah Parsons was in a two-on-one fast break. Exactly, and the decision he made was going to be the wrong one. I mean, exactly you, you, toward Jalen Hurts, he's going to just dump it immediately to Brown. You hang back on Brown. You give, you know, Hurts more time to to assess the field and see what he's going to do. Uh, it, 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 that's exactly what it was because of the play and, and the rubs and, and you know, picking guys off. It was a two-on-one break against Micah Parsons, and uh, they just they executed it really, really well when they needed to. Yeah, from that standpoint, I thought they just got more than anything. Well, they got outplayed too, but they also got outcoached a little bit. I think that uh, that Nick Sirianni has done with their offense and and tailored that so well to what Jalen Hurts does. You know, that's kind of what they did uh, when Jalen was at uh, Alabama and when he was at Oklahoma. They they didn't ask him to do the things uh, at certainly at Oklahoma that Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray did. They they asked him to do the things that he could do and 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 do them well. And, and he did do that. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's their offense is not real terribly complicated. Uh, and especially on a, uh, on a third and one, you know, they just do a, the sneak and let him take the ball up the middle. And that's that. Uh, I was surprised they didn't do it 
more often uh, and do it down on the goal line. As a matter of fact, they had so much success with it. So uh, then there was also the play uh, in, in the first half where CD lamb uh, stretched out and got the first down. Uh, the Cowboys were in their turbo package. And so they're trying to rush up to the line of scrimmage and get a, uh, a fourth down play in uh, quickly before the defense could get set. And, um, Mike McCarthy explained that he was working off what one of the officials told him, which was that you don't think this is going to be overturned because we think that CD had his knee down. I, I think I just want to say, first of all, don't aren't we when you challenge a play, aren't you challenging the officials to begin with? Isn't that kind of a, a bad premise to go with, David? Yeah, and, and that's what uh, he has said he has found in that instance challenging that particular call. He has never had success, so he determined uh, you're not going to challenge there because if that was the explanation, no matter what they saw, they would still say, yeah, but look, the knee is down here. If there was a, you know, if it, there was a, any question or doubt about the knee being down, they were going to side with the knee being down and he would lose the challenge. But still, it, it would have bought you more time, right? And because the, the I think the thing that that hurt him and the Cowboys more than anything on that was how uh, chaotic that fourth down play looked. Uh, And then you had CeeDee Lamb and Noah Brown run into each other. It didn't really look like a play. It just looked like they they had run out of time and, oh, we better snap this because we don't want to take a timeout. That is why that looked so bad. Uh, uh, And, and yeah, just the way he explained it, well, you're always challenging an official's initial ruling. So if you believe uh, they got it, you challenge it. And, and then, you know, you, you live with the consequences sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it, it didn't wash. You know, the, the other thing I found interesting, though, that we haven't talked much about is, uh, and he talked about the turbo package and you know, being in the hurry up. And, and I know this has driven some, some fans and other people in the media crazy. But, but I think, to me, I look at it more, it illustrates what his mindset was at that point of the game. And his mindset was, man, we're back on our heels. Uh, This offense has to do something to feel good about itself. And even if we don't pick it up here, our defense is still good enough, even though they're back on their heels a bit. I feel better about their ability to right themselves. But But if we don't get a spark on offense soon, this thing could snowball. Well, as it turned out, it, it did snowball a bit there on them. Uh, you know, they got down by 20 in the first half before showing any signs of offensive life. And uh, it just kind of played into what the early tone of that game was. But, you know, part of it was, I think they were just set. They figured this is two downs here to pick up the first, uh, which they tell the players but when they go into a third and short situation. If you don't get it, go right back and we're going to go for it again. So, when the mark was, they thought they had it, then they didn't. Then there was more of a sense of a hurry up. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy said they, they had 20, 20 seconds ran off that they were still discussing what to do. But it was just so chaotic on that fourth down that it looked like they were completely, utterly unprepared by the call. I mean, by the spot. Yeah, <clears throat> this looked a little bit like it in, in Mike's first year when the, all the decisions yeah. were so crazy and, and why are you doing this down here? And, that's, and, and it was a flashback to that, wasn't it? I think that's why fans are reacting yeah, the way absolutely. they are to that. And, and justifiably so. Um, 
the the defense so didn't didn't play great, uh, and when we're used to them doing that, the, the the penalties, the Dante Fowler jumping on a fourth and four, my gosh, down at the goal line, it's just so clear what they're doing. It it it, it felt like you know that that Nick Sirianni was just like saying to the Cowboys, "You guys are so stupid. I'm gonna we're gonna do a hard snap count here, and you're gonna jump." And it, it, his his body language on the sideline suggested that, you know, and, and that's exactly what happened. You know, it's it's just so sad to watch teams not be smart. I, I I can take you not being as talented as somebody else, but don't don't do dumb things. Don't don't do things to beat yourself. It's one thing if you just you just can't match up man to man with somebody else, but don't do things that get you beat because you were just being stupid. I, I, that just drives me crazy. Yeah, I think um, this was the worst defensive performance uh, by Dallas defense this year. Um, Of course, obviously you're going to say that because in the first five games, they didn't allow more than one touchdown in any of those games. Uh, They they had done that by very early in this game. But to to me, and Dan Quinn was talking about it earlier this week when we met with him, Um, as he said, he's a – He's a very upbeat glass, you know, half full sort of guy, as he says, 99.9% of the time. Uh, But he does, in his words, get pissed. And he's still pissed about uh, how Dallas played in this showdown game. And, uh, you know, his point is he he challenged their pride, basically. Look, we have standards. Uh, You want to be the best defense in this league. Uh, We didn't show it in this game. Uh, that's where you make your reputation in these games. And for 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 all of the points they gave up in the first half, and they fell down 20-0 before they started coming back, the, the most concerning one was that fourth-quarter drive that Philadelphia put together. Because in my mind, almost inexplicably, Dallas is back in the game and has a chance to win it. I mean, I you know, to me, this wasn't about just playing hard. I didn't think they had any shot to make it competitive, uh, you know, going into the second half. It was just like, okay, this is this is how this game's unfolded. They just got overmatched from start to finish. Um, you know, let's proceed that way. And then this offense, it can do nothing. And Cooper Rush, with a quarterback rating of one at halftime, <laughs> leads a 93-yard touchdown drive. Uh, how often do you see that? You see them start spark, and now suddenly it's twenty to seventeen. They pull within three points, and it's early fourth quarter, and Philadelphia gets the ball back, and Dallas's defense has just shut down Philly in the second half, uh, and that is where Philly comes up with the what thirteen play seventy five yard drive that consumes seven and seven minutes and thirty seven seconds just goes right at Dallas, runs it down their throat. Um, That is – the Dallas defense there was treated in a way it has not been treated all season. And and that is what Dan Quinn was talking about. That is what uh, is under his skin and uh, is is really upsetting the players is momentum had shifted. If the defense would have done its job as it has all year – Dallas had a legitimate shot to come back and win that game after being down by 20 points on the road. Um, that drive just, you know, sapped all life out of them there. And that was on the defense. And of course, that was one of the reasons why I think the defense struggled at that point is that the, the run defense hasn't really, it's gotten better this year, but it's still not a good run defense. That's still how you attack them because, and, 
And even if even as they if they improve as a run defense, it's still the way teams are going to attack them if they're built to run because they don't want that pass rush. You know, all these teams are trying to avoid third and five, third and six, third and seven because that plays to the Cowboys' defensive strength. Uh, their pressure is as good as any team in the league. Uh, you saw from last year when they led the league in turnovers. Teams are trying to avoid third and long where the Dallas defense can just throw anything at them and will throw anything at them and have a very high percentage of success. So teams that run are going to run right at Dallas. That's the best way to slow down a pass rush. Run right at guys who are used to rushing the passer. And then suddenly you're in a third and one, third and two, where you can run or pass. And so Dallas just can't unleash everyone the way they'd like to at so many times this season. Yeah, that made a real difference. And, you know, I, I, I like what Jordan Mulata on the Eagles uh, offensive lineman said, you know, uh, we're going to see who's the toughest the longest here. Yeah. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to we're going to run at you because they on that that drive you're talking about, they they ran it 10 times in that drive. Yeah. And uh, and they said, you know, when you're getting whipped, when you're getting whipped up front, uh, you know, it takes a lot out of you. You know, it, it's uh, it kind of. That's the old, that's the macho thing about football, you know, is, is that we're going to, we're going to do this to you. You can, you can pass and do all this other stuff, all you want to do. But if we can run the ball, we're just going to run it down your throat and we're going to embarrass you, you know, yeah. and that's, and that's kind of what the Eagles did. And I, gonna, I think some of that too was that, that Philadelphia really owned the time of possession because of all those turnovers Dallas had early. And the Dallas defense was in a very, was under stress all evening, right? So when they got to the point late in the fourth quarter, I think there was a fatigue factor to it. But also with that, great defenses will say, look, we're tired, but we get a three and out or a like a five and out here and we can win this thing. And the Dallas defense knew that. Uh, they went back on the field, and what happened, as you said, Philadelphia ran 10 of the 13 plays, controlled the clock, and, and just, and just you know, beat them, literally beat them into submission. So it's, to me, is it that, and we've said this before, that when Dak's ready to come back, the, the lessons learned under Cooper Rush was that, okay, we don't need to be a dazzling offense. We don't need to be running double reverses. We can, we can get by uh, with running the ball and uh, can, and controlling the game in that fashion. What do we expect to see from the Cowboys this week against the Lions? Well, yeah, as, as we do this podcast, it's Tuesday. At this moment, uh, Dak has not been medically cleared, but that is really a, a, a logistical issue and a formality. Uh, he will be cleared medically either Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning before the Cowboys hold a practice on Wednesday. Um, you know, Mike McCarthy has spoken about once he's medically cleared, the next threshold is just the timing and his ability to to step back in uh, and run this offense. And that's that's what they're looking at this week. Um, that's why they haven't declared that he will return. Uh, but all signs point to that. Um, he would have to, in my mind, he would have to be look remarkably bad in practice for him not to play against Detroit. And from what we know about Dak Prescott in his career, when he's medically cleared to play, I don't know that we've ever seen him respond that way. So I, I think it's uh, completely realistic. And the expectation is that he will ter- return against Detroit. Um, look, you know, the, the debate on who is a better quarterback for this offense was always ridiculous. Dak Prescott, uh, this offense has more of a of ceiling with him than it does Cooper Rush, and I think we saw that 
not only in the Philadelphia game, but we saw that start to happen in the L.A. game where Cooper Rush only completed 10 passes for 102 yards, uh, no, re- you know, no receptions by a tight end or a receiver. Um, and, and none of this is a knock on Cooper Rush because uh, Cooper Rush left this team in better shape than it was when he took over, right? Um, I mean, that team was 0-1. I'm not sure in this stretch that Dallas would be any better than 4-2 and two right now, even if they had a healthy Dak Prescott. So uh, while we can point to what Cooper Rush hasn't done individually or from a skill standpoint, um, there should be no criticism of him at all from Cowboys Nations. In fact, they should just give him a, a heartfelt thanks for his service as he goes back into obscurity here. But this team has a – this offense should – get better with Dak Prescott back. But what has Dak learned about this team and what he needs to do while he's been out? And, and I think he's seen that it is. It, he knew it was already a young team. It's not as explosive as it was in the past, but um, it is able to run the ball, is continuing to get better at running the ball, and he doesn't have to uh, – ride on his white stallion over the horizon and come back and rescue this offense. He just needs to come in, continue to do what they're doing, and not play hero ball. I think this defense has been so bad in recent years that the organization leaned. uh, If Dak Prescott didn't have an outstanding game, it was hard for this team to win. Um, That is no longer the case. And uh, Dak is more than a game manager. He brings you much more than that. But he doesn't have to force the issue like he has so many times in recent seasons. And and I think it's incumbent on Dak, especially as he's working his way back from being out for so long, uh, to not take too many needless chances. To just say, hey, um, you know, we we can go ahead and punt here. It's not the worst thing because this defense is playing really well right now. Uh, We'll just win the field position. We'll get, you know, we'll get 10, 15 more yards to where we start our next possession. We'll go from there. Yeah, I, I think the a perfect example of what we're talking about here is not not that, that Dak has to be a game manager, uh, but in the Eagles game, there was a zone read. Um, you know, Cooper goes ahead and gives the ball to uh, to Zeke. He runs into like a forest of, of Eagles. There, there's there's not there's no place to go. Whereas if he had pulled on the ball and gone and run, it would have been a nice game. Uh, yeah. And I think I think that's the kind of thing that Dak sees. Dak does that. That's what he brings to you. You know, it, it doesn't take uh, the difference between what Cooper was doing uh, and what Dak can do. Doesn't mean that it's going to. Oh, he's going to be thrown for four hundred uh, yards a game. It's five, six, seven plays a game you see Dak make that Cooper Rush was not going to make. And yes, to me, that, exactly. that's the that's the difference in in these games. You're not going to be winning them by thirty five. To fifteen, you're going to win it. Winning games, you know, twenty-one to fourteen, uh, twenty-five to seventeen. You're you're going to be winning games by maybe you know eight or nine points instead of three or four points. You know that that's the that's the cushion that this that brings you to have Dak back in the offense. So yeah, we'll yeah I, know, I know we want to go on to some of our other topics with the uh, NBA season starting here and uh, an outstanding week in, in college football and another good one coming up. Um, but that's it exactly. It's not just what he's going to bring you on passing. Let's look at two things very quickly. Uh, the RPOs, the run pass option. Uh, 
Dak was doing more of that this season than he had in the last couple of years, and they were effective with that. But now this ground game's established even more, and now you add that RPO element to where Dak can keep it and run, which Cooper was not going to do. That brings another dimension to the run game. And third downs. Dallas has been a very bad team on third downs. For the season, uh, I believe they're converting at 32%. Uh, They need to to get that up to close. uh, That's not even the league average. They need to at least bring it up to the league average and and slightly above. And if you start to get uh, two to three more third down conversions a game, you're going to control the clock even more. You're going to keep the defense on the sideline and you don't have to see uh, Dak force the issue. So he, he doesn't have to come in and, and ride to the rescue. As we said, He's seen how this team has developed without him. Now, how does he come back and enhance what is already in place? Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for our Cowboys segment of the podcast. Now we're going to move over to the Mavericks. Uh, their their uh, season opens Wednesday in Phoenix. Um, I'm going to, as we're talking on Tuesday morning, I'm going out to to uh, talk to the, some of the Mavericks on uh, after practice on Tuesday and uh, get some ideas about what's going on there. I got, I got to tell you, David, uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel like the Mavericks are going to make it to the Western Conference Finals this year. I think there's going to be a, it's going to be a little more wide open this year. I think we're going to see Memphis take a step up. Denver probably take a step up as well. The Clippers will be better. Uh, of course, the Warriors will be as good as ever as long as Draymond Green's not punching out any of his teammates. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little harder go uh, in the West. And I got to tell you, I, I'm a little concerned about the the, the Mavericks' chemistry this year and uh, and how they departed from kind of what they built last season. I got to tell you, it feels a little bit like when they won the championship. And remember the next year they decided, ah, we just kind of caught lightning in a bottle and we, and we didn't really need Tyson Chandler back. And, and so we, we went with another model instead. Uh, last year, they, they made the trade, Chris uh, Porzingis for Spencer Dinwiddie to get themselves another distributor, another ball handler, uh, got it to release some of the pressure on Luca to go along with Jalen Brunson and give them three ball handlers because they really didn't have any other than those three guys. And, you know, I questioned that strategy from the get-go because I was kind of still on board with KP. And then what happened? Well, it worked fabulously, right? Uh, yep. Great. Jalen Brunson in the playoffs was a revelation. He, he came by with, with uh, Luca out for an injury early in the playoffs and, they played great, and that three and D formula that they uh, formulated uh, was was tremendous, and it got them all the way to the conference finals. Now, obviously, at the end, what caught up with them was that it, they didn't have enough strength in the front court. Uh, they, they couldn't rebound. They couldn't they couldn't play defense, uh, and they went out and they fixed those two things, or they, at least they they added some parts that would suggest they're going to fix it with Javale McGee and Christian Wood. Um, but uh, they lost Jalen Brunson. So now they don't have that third distributor, and, and they and they brought back one of uh, Luca's Real Madrid buddies, uh, hopefully, I guess, to fill that uh, third point guard role. I, I just have some real questions about whether that's actually going to work and what's the chemistry going to be like, what's Christian Wood going to be like if he's not starting. He's he said that he's okay with coming off the bench. He's not really much of a defender. He's a terrific scorer. And that'll be much appreciated in this office to have somebody in the front court who can score inside. Um, but I, I'm I'm just wondering what the chemistry is going to be like of this team. 
Yeah, and it's I I would imagine early. Um, you know, Dallas was a much different team late in the season, regular season last year than early. Like I oh, said, yeah. but they also had a major trade too. I uh, wouldn't envision a major trade this year, so this group will have longer together. But in the NBA, I think the personality of a team changes from one season to the next more than any other sports league because one guy can change the chemistry so much yeah. and and losing Jalen Brunson uh, really changes what this team was. And he was a part of it. He, he's been here ever since Luca was here. And, and so it's going to be an adjustment for Luca as well. That being said, Luca really is a legitimate MVP candidate and he can adapt to, to what a team is. And, and there are facets to his game where he can emphasize one part of his game over another uh, to help the team develop. And uh, um, so I think that is different than what we saw when they broke up that championship team with where Dirk was at his stage in his career and the type of player he was and where Luca is. Um, but it is going to take a personality. Jason Kidd is still going to require a certain level of defense be played, even by teams, even by individuals who aren't considered great defensive players like Christian Wood. Uh, so his playtime is going to be dependent on the effort and the positioning he gives you in, in your defensive schemes. So to me, even more so than coming off the bench, it's going to be that. It, it, when Jason Kidd requires him to do certain things defensively, in order for him to get as long of a run on the court as he wants, um, you know, that is what he's going to have to buy into uh, because he'll get as many minutes or more coming off the bench as he was as a starter. You know, it's about when you get the minutes and how long you get them. And, and they need his presence in the front court and it's going to make some things easier for this team. So uh, they, they have more to work with. And, and also, you know, Tim Hardaway is coming back, and that was a huge piece missing before from an offensive standpoint. So this will be a better offensive team than it was last year. Uh, so it's about calibrating. They should be a little worse defensively. So it's about calibrating how much better they're going to be offensively versus uh, how much less you are defensively and finding that point differential that's still moving forward and helping you. Um, but but another big thing about becoming a better defensive team is becoming a better rebounding team. Um, you know, even if you're not a good individual defensive player, if this team gets more rebounds and limits the opportunities that the other team has because they're a better rebounding team, that is going to help your defense because there are fewer opportunities. So there are different ways to approach your defensive deficiencies, and being a better rebounding team is one of them, and, and that should help. Yeah, it should. JaVale McGee is not the guy he was when he left here. You know, remember back when he was a punching bag for Shaquille yeah. O'Neal? Uh, that was always funny to me. It's changed, that, yeah. Yeah, everything's changed a lot. He he went away and, and uh, won himself a couple of rings in the process, and uh, and he should help uh, considerably. Uh, I didn't nothing against Dwight Powell, but he's making an awful lot of money, eleven million or so a year, to do what he was doing, which was not a lot of anything. Uh, you know, he gives you a lot of energy, but he's not much of a scorer and he's not much of a defender either. Uh, so uh, that was going to be a big upgrade with uh, both McGee and, uh, and Wood. So that'll be interesting to see how that develops uh, and how Wood develops with, uh, with Luca. Um, uh, as I said, my concern is probably, you know, the usage rate on Luca is the highest in the NBA. It's hard to get the ball out of his hands. Uh, and basically you just got to sit him. 
uh, most of the time. Uh, that's what they were able to do a few times, is, uh, and that was the beauty of uh, what Jalen Brunson did. And what he brought to the Mavericks, it, it made him, to me, more valuable to the Mavericks than he is probably to anybody else. I don't think he's going to be able to do for the Knicks what the Knicks want him to do. I don't, I don't know that he can do that night in and night out. Carry it. He's been successful here, and and you look at the splits in the preseason when he's on the court and when he's not. It's dramatic, but this is a short sample size in those preseason games, uh, holding up over the the course of a season. But you know, we'll find out. Uh, you know, um, we've seen uh, super groups break up before, where you thought clearly the uh, the inferior player uh, was fooling himself on what he could do, and then he went to another team. And uh, you saw he was a star in his own right. And Jalen Brunson believes he can do that in New York. It's going to be interesting to see that. You know, your other point on on lessening uh, the, the the stress on on Luca in the regular season that's imperative. And people don't look at it in these terms, but you don't have to take much off on what a guy is on the court each night for it to make a huge difference. And um, let's just say. Luca pl- averages two minutes less a night, a game, than than what he has. Um, two minutes off in an eighty-two game season, a game comes to four less games played if you look at a total game. So when you look at it incrementally like that, each night you can say, "Oh wow, they got him a minute and a half of rest, this or that." But you add it up over the course of a season, there's a lot that that it really means in wear and tear. Now. This is altered a bit because so many coaches now won't play their key players when you have three games and four nights or four and five because they want to limit that stress on on the body. And and they all have their GPS numbers to show that we push this guy to a brink. He needs a break now. So so NBA coaches are actually managing that differently than they did 15, 20 years ago when it was just about slicing a minute or two off a game. But you're still going to have those certain matchups where they're just going to go, well, let's just not play Luca tonight. Uh, so let's get him some rest here. But then on top of that, you know, lessen his workload each game he's in by a minute and a half, something like that. It, it's substantial over the course of the season, especially if you feel your team that's, that's suited to make a long playoff run. And I agree with you. I think it's going to be more difficult for Dallas to get back to the conference finals this year than it was last year. But that is their expectation, and that is how they have to play this regular season to be ready for a long postseason run. So uh, everything is pointed to what they do in the postseason. They should expect uh, a two- to three-round run at minimum, and, and that's how they need to play and set up over these next few months to get ready for that coming come this spring. And the good news is that Luca apparently is in much better shape yeah. going into this season than he's been in the last couple of years, uh, which is good. Uh, you know, I, I think probably more than anything with Luca, and he talked about that some last year, was just adjusting his diet of all things. You know how you, a lot of young people are not always eating the best food, David. I don't know if you've noticed that about uh, your daughter, but uh, what we eat at uh, at uh, games as well, Kevin. That they may. <laughs> As far as not having the best nutritional elements in mind with uh, food choices we make. But yeah. Especially, especially we're in that SoFi Stadium. They've got all those choices uh, for uh, you. Holy so cow. It's like so it's like Sports Rider Nirvana. You know, they, the, what I have found there's the, the difference between a, an eight year old's diet and a Sports Rider's diet, there is no difference. You know, <laughs> that's 
That's exactly what sports writers eat. Oh, Remember chicken nuggets. Okay, where's the barbecue? Uh, I remember once going to the movies with Al Carter, old pal of mine, and he got a charm sucker, popcorn, a soda, and I think a candy bar before we went in there. And I said, man, how old are you, six? Ideal mix. Ideal oh, mix. Oh, my gosh. Just unbelievable. Anyway. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for our MAPS talk. All right, now we're moving over into the colleges. We've had a, a lot of stuff happen in college football. It's been a It's been a – fabulous year of college football so far we've seen things happen across the landscape Uh, we saw alabama lose holy cow who would imagine that losing to tennessee and and (laughs) tennessee coached by josh heupel the uh former quarterback at oklahoma i'm thinking that the good fans of of oklahoma would really like to rethink this whole brent venables thing and maybe they could have had josh heupel instead even though he was already at tennessee uh, but, uh, I tell you, it's, it's difficult to win in college football now without an offensive head coach. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I have kind of changed my philosophy about that. I always believed in a defensive coordinator as a head coach because defensive coordinators just want to win. Uh, to me, offensive coordinators, you're always dealing with an ego and it's always wanting to show you how smart I am and look at all the things I can do. And this goes way back with me a lot of different coaches that I have been around, um, but and doing that would put your defense in a bad spot or, yes. or on the field too long because scoring too quickly, that sort of thing. Your defense was constantly out there. Yeah, but nobody cares anymore. Now people are running. Defense. Yeah, you know, people are running a hundred plays in college. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Of course, when you've got eighty-five kids on scholarship, I guess you can do that kind of thing. You can't do that in the NFL. No, uh, but uh, it is. Uh, it's been really fun to watch all these things happen. We've seen. Uh, in the, as a matter of fact, it, it's changed so much. I was feeling like early in the season that uh, the Big 12 was going to get left out of the college football playoff. I just felt like at that point you, you had Alabama and Georgia both playing great. And now Tennessee has risen as well. That's that's three really good teams from the SEC. And I don't, I don't want to leave out Ole Miss. Ole Miss is playing well as, as well. And, uh, and then you talk about the Big 10 with Ohio State and Michigan both up. Uh, Clemson is back to looking like it uh, looked in previous years. And then uh, Lincoln Riley goes out to USC and turns that program around and they're playing well. So I just felt like that it just felt like without Texas and Oklahoma winning, you always start to think that that means that, well, then nobody from the big. Yeah, no it. shot. Yeah, uh, no one's got no one's got a shot. Well, what has happened since then, of course, is Alabama has lost. Now, it does not mean that Alabama is out of the race because they are in the West in their division, and, and Georgia and Tennessee are both in the East. All Alabama has to do now is win the conference championship game. If they can win out and win the conference championship game, I believe that only one SEC team is going to get into the Final Four. I, I, I don't think the committee would take Georgia with a, a loss in the championship game with so many other quality teams across the board uh i, I do so believe it'll, it'll to finish yeah i yeah. do believe it'll be one big 10 team it'll come all you know michigan and ohio state play in the last game uh it'll all come down to uh to one big 10 team one sec team probably clemson there it turns out their schedule is not going to be so great notre dame is not playing well uh, florida state starting to crumble a little bit so i, I don't know that it's going to look quite as good on their resume. But if they're undefeated and because of what they've done in the past, I do feel like the committee would take Clemson. And that leaves you then the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And at this point, uh, it's, it's certainly with USC's loss to Utah last week, uh, it's certainly possible that 
Uh, UCLA is, is still undefeated. They, they could make it. I think that's possible. But I really do feel like that TCU, with the schedule they've played, and especially this run where they have beaten three, I believe that they've beaten three ranked teams in a row, uh, and came back for that win over uh, Oklahoma State, which that was a pretty improbable comeback. I didn't see that coming early in the game uh, when they weren't playing so well, and they did a, did a great job. The question now for TCU and for Sonny Dykes in particular is, can they hold on? Can they avoid the kind of finish that Sonny had in his last three years at SMU in which he had fast starts in each of those three seasons. And then over the last five games of each of those seasons, when a combined five and 10, um, that certainly people will be asking that question. That's a fair question to ask. Uh, he's got a different team now, obviously it's a different program. It's, it's TCU. It's what Gary Patterson left him. Um, and, uh, I think, I think better talent than what he had. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what they can do. But still, there is a pattern there, right? I mean, and, and you see that with some coaches. Some coaches start slow and finish strong. Other coaches start fast and then just try to hold on. And uh, it, it's just how they, how they practice, how they run the team. I, your talent is, is going to, to win out over time. But, but coaches also have patterns in, in how they coach and how they get teams ready. And, and sometimes you can run a team too hot. Uh, and, and you're just not there late in the season, or you're not built to, to succeed late in the season. I, I will say, I think this TCU team is better overall than anything you had at SMU and it's better built, uh, to win late in the season, uh, a little better defensively, just better all the way through. Um, but we'll see. And TCU still has some difficult games here left. Uh, the TCU has put themselves in position where you can't dismiss them and they do have a legitimate shot at this point. Uh, but they still have a few tough games coming up too. Well, they got the they got Kansas State this week. That'll be a tough game. Uh, then they're at West Virginia. They got a home game against Texas Tech, which uh, early in the season, you know, that was kind of a wild card. It might still be. I uh, wouldn't certainly wouldn't rule out the possibility. But Tech has struggled a little bit. And then they're at Texas on yeah. November the twelfth. And at Baylor, the November the nineteenth, and then they finish at home against Iowa State. Those are all, you know, fairly difficult games. Although, you know, teams have struggled. Baylor's been struggling. They've got quarterback issues. Iowa State is is just having is having a pretty good season, but not quite good enough. Um, I think it's I think really it's going to come down to that game in Austin, and that'll be really interesting. Where Gary Patterson has uh, is on the sideline, you know, I. As my understanding was that that when you're when you hold the kind of uh, title that he has in Austin uh, is that you can't be on the sideline, you can't have any contact with the players. Well, I don't know if Gary's just blowing off the rules or not, but he's down there, you know, uh, bent over, got his hands on his knees, just like always, rubbing his glasses, getting the sweat out of his eyes. Uh, he's doing it all down there, so it'll be very interesting to see that matchup when that happens. You know, we don't get it a chance to talk to the assistants anymore. And so Gary will be off limits, I guess, but boy, I would love to get his thoughts about playing TCU in that game and uh, mm-hmm. the program that he left and he built, uh, and they had certainly struggled at toward the end, uh, and were not the, the same kind of program that he'd had. There were, I think, you know, I think there were a, a lot of contributing factors to his exit, uh, at TCU. I, I really feel like some of it simply, was that, um, you know, Gary's style of coaching is kind of going by the boards. Uh, he's very, yeah. very tough, 
coach on his players, and and I just feel like uh, that that's that's harder to do. I think that's one of the reasons why Alabama might be struggling a little bit here and having a lot of penalties and a lot of silly mistakes. They're not getting coached up quite as hard as they used to be. But I, that's just a guess. You know, I, I can't. I have really no other explanation for the fact that. Uh, that Alabama has looked so mistake prone uh, this year, but it'll be very interesting to see what uh, the TCU can do against Texas in that game, assuming that they get uh, past Kansas State, of course. Uh, but I do think that the Horn Frogs are starting to catch a little bit of a national appeal here. It, it helps that Max Duggan is having such a great year. He's even yeah, he getting does. mentioned in uh, Heisman conversation. He is a true du- dual threat dual threat quarterback. He was uh, not that in his first three years. Uh, He was always able to run, uh, but he was also going to throw too many interceptions and and not make the proper reads. And and what they've done this year under Sonny uh, with Max is they've kind of simplified the offense a little bit uh, and not made it as uh, perhaps as difficult as it was before. And he's really responded well to that and been just uh, terrific. Uh, So, TCU's got a lot going on, and uh, I think there is a, a real possibility that TCU gets into the playoff finally after all these times if they can just keep it up. Well, and just for the sake of the matchup and wanting to see an entertaining game with a lot of angles, uh, for Texas and TCU to both go undefeated at this point and for Ewers to continue to grow into the potential it appears he has for Texas, then to have that quarterback matchup with with UT and uh, TCU going forward would be pretty interesting as well. Well, it will be. You know, Texas. Uh, well, it does that. You know, they have. Uh, they're not going to an undefeated against TCU, but they they have. They are a team that's <laughs> built games the, the rest of the way. Is what I'm yes, saying. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Texas is. Uh, I, I, I tell you, I love Quinn Ewers. I love what he's doing. They, they didn't have a great game last week, uh, but he still threw three touchdown passes. You know. Yeah. That's, so what you're talking about now with this guy is that, oh, he didn't have a great game. He just threw three touchdown passes. So uh, he presents a completely different uh, product here. And, I, and I'm going to be at that game Saturday in Stillwater. It'll be very interesting to see how he plays in that environment. I, I don't think it will matter to him where he plays. He, that's kind of, to me, one of his greatest qualities is he's just kind of unflappable. Nothing seems to bother him. Uh, if you're not going to be bothered by playing Alabama, I don't know why you'd be bothered by playing, you know, uh, Oklahoma State and Stillwater. But uh, that will be uh, that will be really something to see for the future and what they could do. I, I do think if if TCU could uh, uh, could go in there and and stop him, that would answer a lot of questions for the committee about what do you do when you play a big time quarterback. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm saying. If both of them run the table here leading into that matchup, that would be the best thing for TCU for their argument to be included at the end if they were able to beat UT then in Austin with Ewers coming on and 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 continuing to, to you know to live into the promise that he's showing here. You know, that, and I think you nailed it. That will be it. Then you've done it on the road against a quality quarterback. TCU is a legitimate consideration for this going forward. Yeah, that'd be fun to see uh, uh, one of the uh, Big Twelve schools make it, and it's and it's not uh, Texas or Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the. Of course, last year we had Baylor and, and Oklahoma State being the, the last two standing, and uh, and that ended up not being good enough. It would have you know Baylor's win over Oklahoma State in a terrific game 
kept to Oklahoma State out of the conversation for the college football playoff at that time. So there's always somebody knocking. Ultimate kiss to uh, UT and Oklahoma on their way out, right? Yeah, exactly. See, we got it. We we don't need you. Yeah, not that anybody would do that, Dana. No, no one here, no. No one's resentful of those two schools at all. No, not at all. No one wants to make a statement about that this year or next year if they're still around. Yeah, you know what? If, if if over the next couple of years and if these schools that are coming into the league, uh, like Utah and BYU, if they can, you know, in Cincinnati and UCF, if they can make and whatever comes from the, what's left of the Pac-12, if they can all make an, an argument here, you know, and kind of raise their games up, then, you know, the, the, the Big 12 after Texas and Oklahoma doesn't have to be quite the disaster area that we, we expected yeah. it to be. I think it can still be a legitimate third conference. It will be – it will always be after, you know, the uh, the SEC and the Big Ten. But I think it can certainly rise up to be, the, you know, the, the uh, a strong number three, and that's probably the best they can hope for. And so yeah. it's all it is now, right? Even with Texas sure. and Oklahoma, it's not always that. So uh, I think if it, could, if it could solidify that position, that would be terrific for the Big 12 going forward. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for coming in and listening. Uh, and next week, we might even have our old pal Evan Grant back to talk about uh, the Rangers and seeing if they've uh, made any moves at that point, if they've hired a manager, if they signed Martin Perez, that they've done something. Uh, that, that would be great. Uh, I think they might get be getting closer to that. They've, uh, uh, Chris Young has met with Bruce Boshi. We know that. We don't know how it went. We don't know if Bruce said Sure, I'm on board, but maybe we'll find out pretty soon. Okay, well, that's it for us. Thanks for coming in, and we'll see you next time. Bye.